Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Jimmy Rex. Welcome to the podcast. Dude, it's a pleasure to be here, Richard. Thank you. Jimmy was kind enough to have me on his podcast. We'll talk about his podcast a while ago, and he's become a close friend, and I wanted to return the favor so you could hear Jimmy's story. Um, we have a lot of LGBTQ people on the podcast, um, but we don't always, and tonight's a night we're having a straight guy in his 30s, unmarried, um, doing lots of good things in his life. Um, Jimmy, we're going to talk about his journey in the church, serving a mission, hanging in there with the church, and then gradually stepping away. And And so this isn't a podcast inviting others to step away, but I think it's good to hear Jimmy's story. It might give us ideas on how better to meet the needs of members that want to stay and also to create space for those that feel their path is to step away and and to keep them in the circle of our lives and our families and to see the good they're doing and keep them connected to God and moving in the right direction. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Jim's. Jimmy's like the Renaissance man. When I think of Renaissance, Jimmy, I think of a man for all seasons that has got his finger in like 30 different things and doing them well. So that's what Jimmy, I don't know anybody that does that more than Jimmy. So we'll talk about the company he owns, the coaching he does, the books he writes, the investment he does, the podcast, and just his motto, which is, I think, um, living an exempl. Say that for us. Uh, my entire mission statement? Yeah, or? tell us your mission statement right from the beginning. Yeah, I came up with this, took a lot of effort, but it's, uh, it's I read this multiple times every day, but the mission statement is, the purpose of my life is to share my tremendous love with all of God's children, bringing happiness to others through my playful soul and by being an example of living an extraordinary life. That's great. I love that. We're going to have you say that a couple more times. And so a lot of our listeners are younger than... I mean, Jimmy's 20 years younger than me, but I think a lot of our listeners may be even younger than Jimmy. And I think hearing his story and his vision and his work and what he's doing, I think, creates vision and hope for others to be able to do wonderful things in their lives. Talk about growing up, LDS. Where did you grow up? Were you active in the church? Did you serve a mission? Kind of give us that part of your story, Jimmy. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, when I was, I was grew up in Taylorsville and then when I was 12 years old, my family moved to Murray. So I grew up in Salt Lake my whole life. And, uh, yeah. What high school did you graduate? I went to Murray high school. Local rivalry here. Yep. The Murray high after it got built or before it got built. I was the last class that didn't get any of the new high school. So 2000, I was class of 2000. That's you got, man, that's not fair. I know we were the last ones to climb the smokestacks. Me and my friends, we climbed it up for the end of our senior year and they tore them down right after and started doing all that. I remember you can climb the smokestacks. I mean, yes and no, it was quite the adventure to get up there, but yeah, we did. We climbed it and you know, only one of us got sent to the hospital and it was a great time. But, uh, yeah, so I went to Murray high, you know, I had a great childhood. I really did have a happy childhood. I've lived in a very traditional Mormon household. Um, mom worked on and off when she had to, um, dad, you know, was the head of the household, uh, seven kids. And we had a couple of rules. I mean, you got good grades, you went to church and you went to scouts. That was kind of the household I grew up in, but had a fun childhood. My dad was fun, you know, had his faults for sure. And, and, but was really looking back now, like a really great dad. He just, he, he always put in a lot of effort. My mom, I felt loved as a little kid. If you feel loved by both parents and you remember them being there, I can't think of too much more you can ask for. So, you know, and I went when I was, uh, when I was 18 years old, had a crazy experience my senior year. Um, my dad had come out and 
sat us all down one night and told us that he um, had had some infidelity and had been cheating on my mom for you know, all the way back to 20 years. It was kind of a life shattering moment. And in, in, as a senior in high school, I remember I just totally turned to the scriptures that night, ran down, read my book of Mormon and just totally turned, you know, more towards the church. And then I went on a mission about six months later, the whole time I was gone. I, um, I loved it. I, it was funny that my brother Dale had gone right before me. He was actually out 18 months when I left. So I didn't see him for three and a half wow. years. And I, uh, he was an amazing missionary. He had had an experience where he got electrocuted and he was in the hospital for nine days and it was a miracle that he wasn't dead. And I just was, I just looked up to him so much and I wanted to be as good of a missionary as he was. And I, I gave truly in those two years, everything I had, like I didn't wake up late one day. I didn't break one rule without, you know, I, one time the world series was, I'm a diehard baseball fan and I know you are too Dodgers. And, uh, I was, uh, it was the Clemens versus Schilling game seven of the Diamondbacks Yankees 2001. That's a and great series. Great series. And it was game seven. I was like, I gotta, I gotta somehow see this. And, and you so, tell our listeners where your mission is. Oh, uh, sorry. I was in Monterey, Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And so I, you know, you see the paper and you're kind of seeing, and the Yankees kept hitting home runs to win it in the end of the game. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't like the Yankees. I'm an Indians fan. And I remember I was like, game seven, I was, I knew a non-member's house that would be watching it. And I told my companion, I was a senior companion, I'm like, let's go, uh, you know, teach that family and ended up watching about six innings. I even left in the eighth inning because I felt bad. I didn't want to break curfew. And I remember I felt so bad about that. Uh, I told my mission president the next day and he just laughed. He's like, oh, Elder Rex, if I had 200, just like, yeah, you know, it was really good. It's good he was answer. a great mission president. He's like, he's like, we all have our loves. And did the Diamondbacks win that series? They did. Yeah. It was funny when I left in the eighth inning, it was two to one Yankees. And then I went home and I, I went to bed. Is it bed. Gonzalez that made that it, hit? Yeah. I went to bed thinking the Yankees won because Ed Was Mariano that a ninth inning game? It was and last, yeah, the bottom of the ninth, the, they got up, they were down one, and they got a couple hits and uh, scored the game winner. I forgot Gonzalez's first name. But Luis I remember, Gonzalez. Luis Gonzalez. Yeah, I remember yeah. that game. Yeah, so I woke up and the neighbor kid was like knocking on my door. He's like, the Diamondbacks gone now, I don't, you know, and it was pretty funny. And I was just like, wow, I, I missed this classic ending anyways, but... That was, uh, you know, I loved my mission. I um, had very fond memories. I went back my first three years after my mission. I went back to visit. I even went over Christmas one year just to see all the people we baptized. And um, I loved it. Loved the people. I actually had a chance last year. The Dodgers and Padres were playing a regular season series in Monterey, which was my mission. And uh, there was a thing on Marriott on their website for the charity. You could auction, you could bid and win to throw out the first pitch. And because it was an auction in the U S but the game was in Mexico. Nobody was bidding on it. So I ended up winning this thing for That's like cool for like 35,000 points in my mission city. So I was so funny. So I call one of the families I baptized and the guy we've stayed in touch and just love this guy. Uh, and you know, I'm like, Hey, come with me. I'm going to throw out the first pitch. So I go, I fly in and we go to the, he's wearing a soccer Jersey. All the baseball <laughs> people are looking at me like, who's this guy you brought? And, uh, but we had such a good time. I threw out the first pitch and it was funny the night before the, um, owner of the big soccer team in town, the Tigres, threw out the first pitch. And then the night before that, it was like the governor. And then the third night, it was me. So all these people were like, who is Jimmy Rex? Guinness? You know, and like they want photos and stuff. It was hilarious. But it was kind of cool to do that That's in my cool. mission city. And That's I went, really cool. I went back to my favorite ward I was in on my mission. And we ended up, I mean... Just to give you an idea, that, I mean, that was a miracle place, but we, uh, I think we ended up in four or five months, we brought 70, 80 people into the church and I walked in, I mean, it's been 
12, 13 years since I've been back to that ward and everyone stopped and they're like, welcome Elder Rex. They remember, I mean, it was pretty cool. That's cool. It was pretty special. So nothing but fond memories of the mission. Got home, figured I would uh, jump right into marriage and everything else. And I started dating and honestly fell in love with the whole idea of being single. Um, fell in love with dating, fell in love with throwing parties, entertaining, all that stuff. Um, very active, you know, I mean, every Monday was going to FHE, every Wednesday or Tuesday going to, uh, Institute and then, you know, just doing all the things and my next seven, eight years, that's kind of what I did. I probably went on not lying, but probably a thousand first dates, you know, and, um, it's funny, like life, you know, it was like, and I kind of felt like, I just kind of felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, but it was kind of like, Oh, where, you know, when does this, when do I, when does this kind of end? When do you finally get married and everyone around me is getting married. All your buddies are getting married. And I'm over here just finding new friends and new friends. And, um, but my heart never felt like I should be married. Like I never was like, I didn't have any regrets. I never screwed it up. I just wasn't to that place yet. And, uh, anyways, ended up getting at age 30, I was kind of like, man, I need to do something different. You know, if you do the same thing over and over and get the same result, that's the definition of insanity. So I'm like, okay, uh, I need to leave, but I had a very successful real estate business here in Utah. So I couldn't just leave. And so I knew there was a program at Arizona state where, um, it was a real estate development program. It was a nine month program. I call oh, that's perfect. Go to Arizona, live right on campus. Uh, get, uh, it'll help my real estate career. So I went down there and spent the next nine months down there. And about halfway through, I turned 31, which if you know, in the single awards in the church, they kick you out when you turn 31. And it was, I was only down there for nine months. I'd already been, I don't know, four or five months. So I was like, I told the bishop, you know, and, and by the way, at ASU, you walk around campus, we're talking tank tops with nothing underneath it. I mean, it's, it takes everything you got to keep your mind straight at ASU to keep you on the path of morality. Right. So I was like Monday, FHE, Tuesday, the temple, Wednesday Institute, Thursday, volunteering with the missionaries. I was really like dove in and the bishop called me in and, uh, he's like, Hey, uh, I, I was the ward mission leader for the singles ward. And he says, uh, you just turned 31, right? And I said, yeah. He said, well, bad news. You, you can't be in the ward anymore. And I'm like, well, I'm only here for a few more months, you know? And he's like, well, you know, we need you to go to the ward you're supposed to. And it was at that time, I think, I think it's different now, but at that time they were really trying to push people to go to the ward they were supposed to. And I was just kind of like, well, I'm not gonna go to this family ward. Like I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm really dive. I mean, I was really plugged into everything that was going on. And, uh, he said, he goes, you got to trust the Lord. Like really, like he basically said, you're not welcome here. He said, you know, we really don't want you to come to this ward. We want you to go where you're supposed to. And I was kind of like, well, why don't you ask the stake president? So he did. And he came back a week later and he goes, Hey, stake president agrees. This isn't, uh, this isn't the place for you. You need to go to the family ward. And I was like, well, I'm not going to the family ward. So I'll either not go or I can come here. And he goes, well, we'd rather you not come here. Just so you know, like you need to not come to this ward. You're no longer in the singles ward. And I was like, wow. And, uh, I'd had my ups and downs all through my twenties, you know, but I had a lot, what's the best way to put it? You kind of feel like, like I knew I was a good kid. I knew I was like, now I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to hug that kid. He was so good. Like I was really doing the thing as best as I knew how, but I did live with a lot of shame because everywhere where you go, people are like, why well, aren't you married? What's wrong with you? What, you know, what's, how come you're still single? Like, when are you going to just settle down? Why don't you just pick one? All these things you keep hearing. And I'm like, we're talking about getting married here. Like, I just never felt like I had the right one. I'm like, I know I dated a lot, but it just never felt like the right one. So who just picks one? Like, that didn't make sense to me. And you're going to get married for time and all eternity. I should probably make sure that I'm sure about this. 
And so, you know, it was at that moment, I was really upset and I was like, well, screw this guy. And about two weeks after that, um, I ended up running into at a gas station out in Eagle Mountain, my high school crush. And she was like a pretty wild girl, you know, and um, long story short, I mean, I made it into my 30s. I mean, I was still a virgin. I'd never drank alcohol, never a drip. I mean, I was very, you know, and I ended up losing my virginity at 31 uh, right after that. I was really bitter. I was just super pissed off that, you know, they would kick me out of the ward. I'm like, I'm trying so hard here. And so I kind of went through this weird phase for a year or two where I was trying to, you know, figure it out. But I had, I did move back to Provo and I had the best bishop. It was a guy named Bishop Cusick and he, he died of cancer as he was the bishop. He was the most amazing bishop. And he really worked with me, understood me. And I felt understood, you know, by that guy. As, as bad as it was in Arizona, I felt understood by this guy. But um, I'd kind of opened a door. I was like, why did this take person? Why does the church have this policy? They don't get me. They don't understand the situation. I absolutely, and I told the bishop when he kicked me out of the singles ward, I looked him dead in the eye. And I'm not going to swear on your podcast, so I'll edit it. But I said, I said, you know what? The church is just wrong. They've been wrong about a lot of policies and they're wrong on this one. This is not from God. God did not tell you that I can't come to the singles ward. Just so you know, I know God as well as you do. And he's fine with me being here, but the church has been wrong. They'll be wrong again. And you will know when they change it, that this was not inspired by God. Just so you know, by the way, and I said this at the time, but I'm like, my testimony is firm enough. I'm not going anywhere. But if you talk to my friends like this, I'll probably never come to church again. So try not to be such an ASS next time you, uh, talk to somebody about this. And then I walked out. That was the last time I saw that guy. But, um, but I was kind of like, it opened my mind to like, why am I feeling like not understood here? And I'd have been my whole twenties. I had life coaches, real estate coaches. I was really, you know, in business excelled for me. I was the number one agent in my, you know, I was one of the two finalists for best agent in the state of Utah, salesperson of the year on the board of realtors when I was 25. And I had a huge, really unusual. Yeah, I'd had a huge success. Well, because being a real estate agent, you do really well if you knock doors and make phone calls all day. And that's what I learned on my mission. So I was uh, really good. I'm like, wait, I only have to do this for four hours a day. You know, I was like used to doing it for 12. So and uh, but yeah, so I kind of fell into this spot where I was like trying to make it work still, but it just didn't feel right anymore. And um, I started kind of being open to other things. So I started traveling a lot. I started meeting other people. I actually would um, associated a lot more with people that to me were not the right people to associate with before. And I started understanding, like all of a sudden, all these people that on paper to a member of the church were bad people or not doing what they were supposed to. And they were the most beautiful, loving people. Um, a lot of gay people, a lot of, um, partiers, a lot of, um, just people that, you know, we'd, I'd go out and have these amazing experiences and I saw how much they loved each other and how much they loved other people and how accepting they were. And I said, maybe God isn't just in this little corner of Utah and Idaho, um, headquartered by a bunch of, you know, older white guys. I was like, there might be more to God than just that. And so I kind of opened my mind a little bit. I started, you know, really trying to study a lot more and just learn a lot more. And I got to a spot where I just kind of said, you know what, this isn't it. There's something more. I knew it in my heart. I said, I, I don't disbelieve all that I've learned in the church, but I don't believe it's God's only true church. And for me, it was all or nothing. I was, you know, it was everything or it was nothing. And I was like, Hmm, what does that leave me? And there was about a, I don't know, about a four month period. This is probably at 33, 34, where I was like, what do I, you know, what do I do now? Um, and I'd thankfully I'd had an experience and I'll tell you about this. It was a, the most sacred experience I'd had in my life at that point. But 
when I was 26, um, I told you how, you know, we, my parents had the issues when, um, when I was 18, um, my parents tried to work it out for a really long time. Um, they actually ended up going on a mission when I was like 24, 25, seemed to have a great time, but then my dad did it again, cheated on my mom again. And, um, we kind of caught him that time. And so I just said, you know what? I don't, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to talk to my dad anymore. I don't need to, I don't need that anymore in my life. And so for two and a half years, I didn't talk to my dad. I was really bothered that even after we'd forgiven him, that it had happened again. Now, by the way, looking back, it's, he was just a human having a human experience and don't justify the behavior, but I do get it. Like I do understand different things that weren't happening and things that were, would cause that to happen. And it's like, I can have enough humanity for him to understand it without thinking he's the worst person. But in the time he was the worst person. I mean, just this terrible guy. And so I, uh, you know, I just kind of, I was praying, like, I didn't want to hate my dad, but I did. And I, I was praying to love him again. I was praying to forgive him. And I read this book called the, uh, the anatomy of peace. And it talked about how we can't see another person's like why they do the things they do, because we are seeing everything through our lens, through our human experience, but we don't know what their experience was and why it causes them to do that. So we, we can't make these judgments based on our lives. And that's the only thing we have to judge off if we're judging you know, if you make a judgment on, let's say there's like a, I don't know, whatever you see the prostitute in the street and you say, you know, well, she's, uh, yeah, she's horrible. Well, no, maybe at 12, her mom was making her sell crack and doing tricks because they needed to survive in the streets like that. You just don't know somebody's story. So to put a judgment on anybody, we just don't know. And it doesn't have to be that extreme, but even little things, I was a very blessed kid, you know what I mean? Comparatively. And so, except, Olymp except Murray high wasn't done. Until you left. That's true. That's the biggest curveball. <laughs> I'm just teasing Jimmy. No, I, I love it. But so I had this experience. I was praying to love my dad. And that book really opened my eyes to maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I'm not seeing this the way my dad's seeing this. And uh, so I, I had... I just called him. I said, let's meet at Paradise Baker. I'd was love he to. trying to reach out to you? He did it the first couple months. You but know, then when you didn't respond, he just, just didn't respond. Back. He'd leave Christmas presents and I, you know, just wouldn't even say thank you or anything. I just was, I was done. I just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I was, I was angry. I was disappointed. Um, and I had, you know, to be honest, I was pretty judgmental. I was, you know, like my dad was going to hell as far as I was concerned, you know, God forgives you the first time and whatever else. But I was just, to me, it just didn't make sense. And so, um, but then I called him up and I'll never forget. I went to paradise bakery on 106 South. And, um, again, I've been praying to God to somehow understand my dad or to be able to forgive him in some way. And I show up and I don't share this very often, but this is, seems like an appropriate time, but it was a very special experience for me. But, and I was able, it wasn't like I, um, it's hard to explain it, but I had this, it was as if I had this, um, God said to me, I'm going to show you your dad through my eyes. And I, when I showed up, I saw my dad and it was just the most overwhelming love I've ever felt for another human in my life. It was a pure love. It was the most beautiful love I've ever felt. And it was crazy. And it was, I knew it, what it was. It was, God was saying, here's your dad, how I see him. And I said, if God loves my dad like that, then he loves me like this, like that. He loves everybody like that. And all of a sudden, my dad wasn't this horrible human. He was a broken man that needed to be loved, that God loved. And it changed everything for me. And so in that moment, me and my dad built a relationship again. Um, to this day, I have a great relationship with my dad now. And uh, but it so when I lost kind of what I had, I, I don't want to say lost my testimony, but when things changed for me, 
my base was there's a God and he loves the heck out of me. And I know that I always felt that love. Um, and so I started studying, I started studying Christ. I just said, I'm gonna go back to Christ. And I just really studied what Christ's life was all about. And it's funny because growing up, I always saw the church as like two types of people in the church. It was those that there was like, a lot of them were just kind of angry. And then you had these ones that were the most beautiful people in the world. And I never could understand the difference between the two. And then as I was studying, I got it in that moment. Everybody in the church that focuses on love has this beautifulness to them. They're just the most amazing people. These are the people in the church that are so amazing people like you. Um, and it's funny, even the, to the level of the apostles, um, the ones that show love, it's not hard to figure out who they are. It's Holland and it's Uchtdorf. Like everybody loves them because they just omit love. But then there's these other ones that get caught up in the commandments, get caught up in the details, get caught up in all the minutia. And if you really study what Christ did, he did not like those people. When he came, he focused on the love and that's the Christ and the God that I believe in. It's the God of love. And so even today, you know, there's a reason that people love Uchtdorf and Holland and they don't like Oaks and Packer. I mean, they're just, they don't share love. They don't, they focus on the wrong things. They're way too caught up in the, 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 principles of the gospel as opposed to the act or sorry, the actual, like the, the details as opposed to the spirit of it all. And God gave us every commandment. I do believe to try to help us. Every commandment is like, here's how you can have more love. Obviously, if you commit adultery, you break bonds of love. If you're stealing, you break bonds of love. If you are, you know, drinking and you can't control yourself and you cause accidents or you fight or you do these things, you're breaking bonds of love. So all the commandments, I can see the whole church and go every commandment in the church is there to help us. They're there for us. But if we get lost on the purpose of it all, everything has to do with intent and purpose. And it all has to come back to love. And if it comes back to love, those are the members of the church. We've all, we all know them. They're the ones we love. Um, whether it's your bishop, your local people, the ladies in this really side, but then, you know, the other ones, we've all met them. And it's like, it's like the Desnap people that come after you. I'm like, these guys are so caught up on this side over here on the left. Like the, the actual details of every commandment, they've completely missed that the entire thing is about love. And the entire thing that Jesus taught was about love. And those dudes are all miserable. You know, they are, they're the miserable guy you saw in your ward. They're the miserable person you met in, you know, and where everywhere in the church, you had companions on the mission, the dudes that focused on love. We're the best missionaries. The dudes that all got caught up in the rules and everything else were always miserable. And it's that same way today. Those dudes are all sitting at their house. You know, they're, they don't even give their real names because they're embarrassed about it because they're miserable and they know that. And if anybody knew their real lives, they'd see that they're miserable. So I just said, oh my gosh, this whole thing's about love. Like if the church serves me, I'm going to take those parts of it. I don't need the church to be wrong. It's, I love it. I honor who it made me to this point. But now I kind of felt like I'd stalled out. And it was like not serving me. The shame was more than the love and everything else. So I said, you know what? I'm going to see, be open to the idea that there's more out here. And I kind of think it's like if you're looking at a map and you're just like, this is the whole map. I'm seeing it all. And then all of a sudden you back up and you see there's so much more on the map. And you're like, oh, I need to start exploring these other things. And so as I did that and I just started sharing love, um, my life got better and better. And it's, you know, and so it's to this day, it's been four or five years now since I quit going to church regularly. But what I haven't done 
has grown bitter or tried to make other people wrong for the church. Because if it's sharing love, if you're focused on the love piece, you're doing it. You're doing exactly what you should be. But if you're caught up in all the de- the the stupid things, you're like trying to like make people wrong or trying to tell people why they need to be a certain way or, you know, it's black and white and it's not, it's all gray. It's all has to come back to motive and intent. And that's why I love about what you've done. That's why we hit it off because we both look at, you know, it doesn't need to be black or white. It's all about motive and intent. And if you err on the side of love, like think of it this way, God is an all-knowing, all-powerful God. We know this and he's all loving, right? So we have an all-knowing, all-loving God. What God would not honor a life if you just share love all the time, if you're leaving everybody in a better place, I just honor the God that honors that. And if I get this thing wrong at the end, because I quit going to church, but I spent my whole life trying to love and help people, you know, then I just, I guess I'll, I'll live with that. I'm totally good with it, but I already know God loves my path. He honors my path and he guides my path. And so I don't worry about it. I know that I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on and it doesn't have to look traditional. I don't need my life to be what others expected it to look like. It just needs to make sure that it has the motive intent that comes back to love. It's a great story, and I just appreciate you, Jimmy, being so honest. It takes a little courage to share all that, and um, I love the story with your father. Some of the words you chose in that story were just, to me, the veil got really thin, and I love the way you saw the way God loves all of us, and I really believe that. And how and how thoughtful of you to reopen this story with your dad. Um, yeah, two and a half years, or however it was, I, I recognize that. In those sometimes in those situations, it takes time. But I love your humility and your promptings, I think, from the Spirit to have a relationship with your dad. And I just think that's a great story for all of us to, even if someone's hurt us and even if there's tremendous justified pain and anger and whatever normal human emotion comes with a broken relationship, that what you did there and then your ability to see somebody the way God sees, that's a that's a powerful moment. I love your comments about Holland and Uchtdorf, and I love where you also said it's not like they sold out commandment keeping to get there, because you circled back and talked about still the importance of keeping commandments. And some people kind of go a binary that, you know, you've got, you've got a, you know, sort of, you can't do both. And I love, that's why I also love Holland and Uchtdorf for those very things, because they don't, they're not selling out our doctrine um, to sort of create a narrative that feels more moral and fuzzy. They're to me, they are communicating the doctrine. Um, do- love is a doctrine, and the way Christ taught people and loved people is a doctrine. And I recognize that culturally we have work to do because some people just don't feel that. Um, and you felt that. And if you don't fit in for a number of reasons, I was 28 when I got married, so I know your journey a little oh, yeah. bit. I remember yeah, it. being, it was the hardest time for me to be active in the church was my late 20s because I just felt it's the word you used is shame. I felt everybody looked at me as the 27, 26 year old guy who's not married. And they didn't see that I'd served a mission. They didn't see I was in graduate school. They didn't see I was contributing. And I, that really did bother me. Um, and it just maybe gave me perhaps a little empathy during that time. Cause now I fit, you know, fit in great. I've cut six kids and sort of doing the typical Mormon um, story in our family. So thanks for sharing that. Um, And I agree with policy. To me, there's a difference between doctrine and policy, and I think we need to be softer with policy where if I'm enforcing a policy as a priesthood leader, 
um, I say, you know, this is the policy, but I kind of try to separate it from doctrine and, and maybe say, you're right, this policy may change or this may just be a policy. It's not written in the Doctrine and Covenants or in the Book of Mormon or the Bible. And so as a leader, I kind of need to honor this, but I love the softness maybe we can give with policies that, and I think there's a principle of exception that is part of our, that is, if we follow policy, then there's always a time to make an exception. I remember when our local stake president shared with me when he was called on the way out, the visiting authority taught him the principle of exception. He says, you know, you, yeah, you follow everything in the handbook, but you need to have, not not as a new doctrine, you know, there's probably not an exception to doctrine, but to all these policies that are in the handbook, to sometimes be close enough to the Spirit, there needs to be an exception. So would I have had, you know, I don't know how I would have handled you. I hope if I were your YSA bishop down in Arizona, as you as the ward mission leader here for another four months, I would have thought, this is a perfect exception. Or even counseled together and say, Jimmy, this is what I'm feeling about this. This is what it says. How do you feel? Um, do you feel like you'd like to stay here? Do you feel like you'd like to go to the home ward? How would this affect you? And so as part of my stewardship, getting revelation for the right path for you, I counseled with you to know that. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah. I mean, I read the book, David O. McKay and the Rise of Modern Mormonism, and it was the first time that it humanized all the apostles and prophets. I think one of the mistakes that the church used to make more, I think they're trying to soften on this now because they see the damage it does, but they tried to make the, it was like, if it comes from the mouth of an apostle, it's doctrine and it's set. And it's like, well, they've changed their mind a lot. I mean, Bruce R. McConkie had 350 times he had to change what he said because he was wrong, you know? And it's like, when you start to put this, the brethren don't make, uh, don't say things that are wrong. Just like the, the whole gay policy with kids being baptized now, like a lot of people are struggling with that because if you, you know, if they make the apostles, like if it's, if it's doctrine and then you change it, kind of what I said was like, well, why do I need a church if they're changing their mind themselves? Why do I even need to, why do I need an organization? Why can't I study this on my own and come up with my own ideas for what's right and wrong and what's best for me? And that's kind of what I've done. But in that book, I truly recognized where, you know, even with blacks and the priesthood, there was always a split in the quorum of the 12 on what they should do. And several of them felt very strongly that they needed to allow blacks to have the priesthood much sooner. But there was a couple of guys, even in the, if you read the, the church's, um, essay now they talk about it was they men were had a little bit of racism from that day and that's what caused it to extend as long as it did and so you kind of start to see like wow they're just guys you know like and they they are like they're they can be inspired and they can have their the but if you see them as infallible um it's not a pretty look when you and really it's dive not into sustainable. it sustainable yeah i agree with that and i the way i frame up our leaders is called of god with the priesthood and the priesthood keys and they do best when you know, they all speak as a unified voice and, um, and they'll be in, and I think we even teach this to your point better that when they speak as, a, you know, as an individual and it's kind of like one spoke instead of all the spokes on a wheel, that then it's maybe you pause and you think, is that someone speaking, you know, outside of their mantle um, or is that someone speaking as a unified voice? So I think that that is a more sustainable approach because I, I know as a, in my assignments, I've made mistakes, Jimmy. <laughs> I did the best I could, and but I know that there are YSAs during my stewardship that I probably said something that was not helpful to them. There were some that became less active during my tenure, I'm sure, because of me and 
and just my personal limitations, even though I carried that mantle. So I think that's a thoughtful approach. Well, and I think that my whole focus on love is like when, like the Desnat guys, I hate to go back to them, but they're so negative and they're just such terrible examples of like Christ. And so they focus on every word of these specific apostles. And I just think if the people at the top, if those at the top, if the Packer and Oaks and a few of the other ones that just have this harsher tone, if they could just focus on the love and kind of follow what some of the other, like, um, everyone loved Monson and Hinckley cause they were so loving. They were just, you know, like I can, I know that Gordon B. Hinckley was a man of God. Like I'll say that because you could just feel it. That dude was in touch with God and he loved, but then I honestly, just being honest, I see that I feel like from Packer, I never liked him. I always felt like he was not a man of God. Like I'll just say, I never thought he was like inspired by God. I said, I don't believe in that God. I know what God feels for me. And so I think if, I think the problem that the culture has you have this culture issue, but it comes from the top, from some of these apostles and, and leaders that are so, so many state presidents are so harsh and they want to be so direct. Like, you know, they, they just want to be so proper. And it's like, Hey, just love, like just focus on that side of it. And, and I think, I don't know, I've never had an organization of 12 million people or whatever it is now to, to try to keep the masses moving in one direction. And so I get that you have to have a lot of order, but you can't sacrifice love for the order to keep the people moving in one direction. So I don't know. I think that, I think it'll be interesting. I think the LBGT thing is going to be, I think they're going to allow gays eventually to, um, be full practicing, loving each other in sexual relationships, married and in the church. And I, I, I know that day's coming. I'll mark this podcast. You heard it here first. And it'll be fascinating to see how all these people that are very staunch in the trenches of caught up in the, you know, like the words of Oaks and all these other things, it'll be very interesting what happens if they just all of a sudden come over, but it's going to happen. I know it. And so I, I actually can't wait to see, but I think it's happening. So let's just take our listeners. Let's say that, um, you know, I'm a local leader and Jimmy's being really honest with me in a local, you know, let's say he's in my ward and he's a ward member and here's Jimmy being really open with some things that wouldn't, you know, don't, that are, wouldn't sit well with most LDS people to be that honest about some of your feelings about some of our leaders or a feeling that a doctrine is going to change down the road, which would be, and so what would I, you know, so I think it's just a, I'd just like to share some thoughts on that. My first reaction, you know, maybe a few years ago would be to invite Jimmy to feel differently <laughs> um, and be pretty uncomfortable with some of the things you've said and felt my responsibility was to maybe give you homework assignments or or really question, you know, where you're going with that or what that could lead you or do you know more than the brethren when it comes to the future revelation the church may see, receive. And my feeling now is would be to just create space for Jimmy to feel that way. Um, and so, you know, Jimmy and I hold different views there. There's some differences, um, as you listeners may know. And so my feeling is... You know, in a priesthood situation or a friendship situation or even this podcast is to just give Jimmy, you know, permission to feel the way he feels and not to sort of and just create space. And I, I just think that's one of the things we need to do now. If Jimmy's out there, you know, kind of making a cause about, you know, our doctrine need to change around marriage or we should release one of our leaders. <laughs> I, you didn't really say that, but I'm being kind of dramatic. No, and, and again, I, I believe that strongly because I've studied it so much in depth of the brethren's opinion on blacks and the priesthood. And it was very similar to today yeah. and the gays. It was never, 
I, for the, I know, I know it. There's certain members of the brethren that, that do not see it the same way today. And that's the same way it was with blacks. And people said, I mean, Bruce Almer Conkey was so direct. It was never going to change. And then he, and then then he, he had, had to, to change. And so it's the same thing. It's the same thing with games. Yeah. It's going to happen. That's where I come off with it. It's not like that. I think the brethren are wrong. I just think, I don't know. And I can buy that God has his purpose for it being it the way it's been, I guess. But I just don't see it as black and white as, you know, this is the doctrine. It's never changing because it, it's exact same thing that happened with the blacks. And so I would say, you know, give Jimmy space to feel that way um, because otherwise it, um, er, people leave that may hold less traditional views. And my goal, the podcast and my personal ministry and um, is I want to keep as many people in the fold that have the common goal to come unto Christ um, and to me, that doesn't mean we feel the same way about everything, but we want to sort of honor the same doctrine. I don't, you know, you have some feelings about a doctrinal change, but it's not like you don't support the current doctrine. Um, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. That's there. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, cause I, we're worse off with someone like Jimmy leaving. And I've thought about Jimmy preparing for this podcast and I don't want to put Jimmy too much on the spot, but we lose really good people. Um, and we're less, and we're worse off because it. And I recognize that you're very at peace with where you're going, and I support that. And I'm not trying to sort of manipulate and bring you back, but I also want to create, you know, if, you know, and maybe this is a question for you right now. What could, could we have done anything different? Well, I wish to, there, let, I, to keep you to stay yeah, as I, you I, were in this real time of kind of wondering if you should stay or not. Yeah, I wish there was a space where it was safe to just be. Um, in the church, but not, but be wondering, be questioning, be honestly exploring and being curious and different things and trying to figure out some of these, um, things that don't feel right or don't, um, that you study and they don't sound right. And some of these things, but it's very difficult in the church. I mean, you can't participate in any of the important events if you're, um, you know, exploring at all outside of like the church's black and white standards. Um, and so for me, you know, it was, I just, I got to a point where I felt like I was no longer progressing in the church and, um, there was, it wasn't set up. They didn't have something for a 33 year old guy that was, um, single that just me and my friends laugh about all the time is like the church was never designed for 33 year old single guys or, you know, people, it just wasn't. And they didn't understand us. They didn't understand the situation. They didn't understand the needs. And I don't know if they could have done something, probably not. I mean, I needed to, you know, I just always, I just have this compass. I've always followed my heart and it's always led me to, I believe where I'm supposed to be. I can look back now at my path and I know that I've honored the path I was supposed to be on. And it gives me a lot of um, faith, a lot of hope to know that I, I just know God honors my path. I know that he does. I know that he loves everything that I'm doing. And um, even when I screw up, I, I know that he just laughs and shakes his head and then he smacks me around and puts me back in line and, you know, and he does it in a loving way where I just love it. And, um, and so I don't know, I don't think that, I don't, I don't know if there is, I, I wish there was a spot, you know, that's, you can't casually do the church. You either, if you're not, you know, you can't, otherwise you're just not involved. You're, you're not able to do the things. I, I mean, I remember one time when I was disfellowshipped and I spoke up in church and the bishop came up from behind me and he goes, Hey, you're not allowed to speak in church. And I'm like, wow. All right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I was, I was like trying to just be good, but I've had a funny comment. So, um, so it's just, it's just not, and that, that was that guy, you know, he was a bad bishop. I had amazing bishops otherwise, but, but the point is, is it's, um, there's just not a great space it's for honest. people in the middle, you know, yeah, there's I, not, I recognize that. And, um, and so that makes it harder. And so, 
when I see someone like you that stepped away, I try not to see you, even though I kind of talked about it ahead of time in that last segment. I don't try to see you as someone that's left our church. I don't try to see. I don't, I don't consider myself someone that left the church. Well, there you I go. just say I like that. It's my heritage. I honor it, you know, but I am building upon it with outside of the church, right? Outside of the church. And I just, I couldn't, I don't believe in a God that put all this truth in this one corner of the earth. I just believe in um, taking the best of all these different pieces and parts. And, um, you know, I've gone to 61 countries now. I've, I've explored these things. I've met these people. I've been to Israel and seen the faithfulness of the Jewish people. I've have one of my best friends I went to Egypt with. He's, you know, born in Palestine. He's, he's a Muslim. And, and I, I have, I've had these conversations and I've, I've explored so much and I, as strongly as people in the LDS church feel about their faith, these people. I mean, they live it even more. I mean, just, it's crazy what the, you know, the beliefs of some of these people and um, how strong they are in them. And so I just, I just have to believe in a God that either gave us multiple ways to find love and to come back to him, or uh, you kind of have to toss it all out and go, just take the best of whatever you think is out there and be a loving person, you know? And I love where you're going to just being kind to people. I just think the God, if I look at the common things bef- between all religions and I do think God wants all world religions that are based on him and core principles succeed. To me, it's about, uh, this is from Michael Wilcox, one of my institute teachers. He went and studied all the different religions, and he said even the atonement didn't exist in every religion, which was unsettling to him because that's such a core part of our religion. But he said the one thing that was consistent in all religions was how we treat each other. Mm. And in some religions, it's called benevolence or compassion or charity, I think, in our faith. And and he's a, obviously a really believing LDS person, but I thought that was interesting. It's really sat with me, Jimmy, is I do believe God wants all of his religions to succeed. And I mourn when I hear a religion going downhill that's a religion that I think teaches good principles and helps people. And and for me, you know, this is just my home. This is the true church for me. But to your point, I recognize that that Jewish friend or that Muslim friend in, e- in Egypt, that may be the true church for him. And I just honor that. Um, and I just w- want him to have the same experiences in that church that I'm having in my church. And at the same time, just like in your mission in Mexico, you probably saw people whose lives were significantly blessed by coming into our church and the good it had for them. So we recognize that. Yeah. Like my, I mean, I always joke about this, but if God himself came down tomorrow and told me, Jimmy, it's not the LDS church, I wouldn't go tell my mom because she's so happy in the church. She has such a beautiful life because of the church, right? Like that's not going to happen. But my point is, is I don't think people should just say, uh, if there's something wrong with this, I should leave. Like I was always trying to make just the live at the highest level, the highest frequency, the best energy I could be in. And for me, that's kind of what I've done, the path I've kind of gone on. And and for the longest time, I think the absolute path for me was inside the church. I don't want to meet, you know, and I like to give myself enough credit to think I would have, I have a good enough heart that I right. would have, I would have found some path that would have been great otherwise, but I don't know, but I do know the one I was on made me who I am today. And I love that person. So I have to honor that. And I honor the church that made me that person for the, all those years. So, you know, to me, it's not, the church is not bad. There's no, it's, it's when we focus on the wrong thing, we make bad choices. A lot of people have done a lot of horrible things, including in the LDS church in the name of religion. Um, and the problem is, is they focused on the wrong thing. They focused on these, um, they, they forgot about the love piece and they focused on the other stuff. And so for me, it always comes back to motive and intent. If you're doing something in the church and your motive is intent and, and your intent is love, go for it. Like you probably can't go wrong. 
I dare you to try to do something out of love, true love, not love of ego or love. Like I'm going to chastise you to, because I love you. No, like truly love that human, wherever they are and wherever they're standing and, you know, and, and love them. And you cannot go wrong in any church or any religion or any choice that you make because you're doing it from the exact God is love. Like we read that in the scriptures and we forget how that is an actual thing in the scriptures. That is a fact from the scriptures. God is love. And I felt that when I saw my dad, I felt it since several other times. And that means that we have God in us because we have that same love. We have the ability to love the same as God does. And when we share that love, we are sharing God to that person and they're going to feel that love. And so it just don't get caught up in the details, just focus on love and loving people. And we all mess that up, but that's why God's so great because he knows that we're going to mess that up and it's okay. We just need to do better the next time, you know? I love that. And that is doctrine. I think of the difference between doctrine and culture. And I think you're doing a good job of talking about what's doctrine and then what's culture. And I've recognized our culture can be unhealthy at times and make people feel like they don't belong and don't fit in. And I recognize for you, it's commandment. It's not like, it's like Elder Uchtdorf when he talked about people that step away for years, they've struggled. And it's not about your ability, not a, you have the ability to keep all the commandments. There was never a commandment keeping issue here, even though you've been honest about some of the stuff that happened after yeah, you no, left. No, I was always... But always it's, it's it. not like you were weak and couldn't keep the commandments and wanted to sin, so you left. It just became not your path. And so, to me, the two things that come to mind is I want to humanize you. I'm not going to make you the villain. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm not going to sort of judge you and say whatever I might say to sort of keep, to explain this away that you've left like you're weak or the tares or the people that get saved at the last days. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to leave that at the Savior's feet because to your point, my job isn't to judge you. My job is to love you. And then I think I wish we thank people for all the contrib- contributions they made in the church. I mean, you've paid a lot of tithing, Jimmy, and you served two years in Mexico and helped a lot of people. And there's a lot of people I would guess that while you're award mission leader, the different ways you served in those that decade after your mission that are better off because of you. And so, you know, I just thank you, buddy, for the good you did in the church and the good you're doing for people since then. And I also, a third thing that comes to my mind is your ability to hang on to your belief in God. Because some people, when they step away from the church, that it's sort of like when their only relationship with to God is kind of through the church. So when that kind of stops working for whatever reason, they lose their ability to have a belief in God. And I love the way you've, I call it sort of deconstruction and reconstruction. You never deconstructed all the way to the point that you lost your belief in God. And so I'm glad that God's in your life. And I believe God wants to be in your life and nothing you can do can make it so that God doesn't want to be in your life. You're always worthy of his love. Well, and I was lucky enough to, you know, I not lucky, blessed enough to have the experience that I did. And, and With you know, your father. And, yeah, to, to, I mean, it was a very, very powerful experience, but I always wanted to know God. I always wanted to know Christ on a deep level. And so, you know, it was, it wasn't, I, I just kept on the end and I can truly see the biggest lie that I think I felt, you know, growing up or the lie that I told myself was that the only way to find God was through the church. And you kind of have that belief just because that's the belief you have is that church. But I've, I truly find God so much now in so many ways and so many people and it's beautiful. And so I just encourage everybody like in the church, you will find God. And if you're not feeling that, if you're not feeling the love there, don't have to throw it all out, but 
start looking where you can find God. If you don't feel like if, you know, that you feel loved where you're at, go find where that is. Cause I know for me, it was so hard for so long. And it's, it's like, you have to take a step into the unknown and it's really scary, but all the rewards in life come after fear and, and they come after, you know, taking risk and things like that. And I, you know, I love to meet people now. Like I, uh, about three weekends ago, I was hanging out with these two lesbian women and we hung out for like five hours and just laughed our heads off the whole time. And I just was so grateful that I had that experience. I would have never done that, you know, when I was, cause I had my belief system of what was right and wrong. And I would have never been able to connect with those humans. We truly connected on a deep level to the point where she goes, can I just call you my older brother now? The older brother I never had. Like, I just want to, cool. you know, and like, I have these experiences all the time now because people know that I'm safe. They know that I don't care what you're doing. I just care how you're doing. And if I can help your life be a little better, if I can share a little more love, I know how that reverberates because the energy of the world is so powerful. If I give out love, it reverberates through the entire universe and it finds me again too. So I just feel so strongly that, you know, wherever you're at, if you don't feel that right now, just, you know, that you, there's, there's so much love to be given and whatever you need more of, give that away and you'll find it in abundance. I love what you just said, Jimmy. I don't care what you're doing. I care how you're doing. Yeah. It's made all the difference for me. I, w I didn't mean to be, I just, I was a little judgmental when I was in the church. Like if I saw someone drinking, I thought it was bad. I thought they were doing something bad. If I knew somebody was having sex, that was just flat out. That was bad or whatever. Right. And now it's, you know, I, I, I'll just give one example real quick. I flew out and visited a buddy that has been struggling just two weeks ago. Um, you know, he's been struggling really bad. I mean, border, well, he has been suicidal, you know, um, I think it's important to, to say it, what it was. And I flew out and just literally just spent a day with him and you know, we were able to just sit there. How did he know to reach out to you or did you he reach didn't. out to I him? I reached out to him. Yeah. I actually, I was in Lake Powell last summer is when it started. It was a pretty special moment. I was in Lake Powell and, um, it was a Saturday in Lake Powell we're on a houseboat, 40 single people. And I just had the strongest impression. I needed to go see him. It was the weirdest thing as a high school buddy. And I just left. I told all my friends, I'm like, I'm so sorry, you guys, this is the weirdest thing, but I got to go to Denver. They're like, what the heck? And, uh, flew to Denver. I called him on the way. I said, dude, I'm going to fly out. Let's go for a hike the next two days. He's like, okay. And you know, he opened up to me and, um, shared these struggles. And to be honest, he wouldn't have shared any of it with me because his part of his struggle was some things that were happening and he wouldn't have opened up to me if he, um, didn't feel safe with, you know, where I'm at. And over a beer, I was able to get this guy to open up and, um, you know, and I don't, again, it's, it was just, we were connecting as souls. We were connecting. And, and, and now for the last year, we've gotten so close and I knew he needed me this last weekend. So I flew back out there, literally spent the day. We just hung out, didn't do anything. And then I flew back because the best thing you can give somebody is your presence. And, uh, I just love him and I just want him, you know, to be happy. And I want him to know that he's a great person and he, you know, he was beating himself up a lot for things that he didn't need to. And it's a lot of that was cultural wiring, um, that he'd had from his youth, the same as I had. And, um, and I'm just so grateful that I was able to connect with him. And I've had these, I, I have these experiences so often now because I've created a safe place just as you have for people to really open up. And I just, I know that part of my purpose is to reach these people and to be able to be, um, a friend and somebody that is sincerely, um, can love on a deep level. I have a huge heart. I know I do. Um, and it's, you know, and I know that that's a gift that God gave me to help a lot of other people. So for me, it's, um, it's creating those safe places. And sometimes that doesn't look like what you think it does. It doesn't look conventional for what the church would say it is, but you can create some beautiful places and spaces 
And when you get people's stories and you see the pain that some of these people have gone through, like, you know, this lesbian couple and what they think and these, you know, these, these thoughts they have about themselves because of their youth and just so hard. I, we forget how hard it would have been to be gay even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, because it was such a, I mean, it was openly okay to make fun of them and mock it and everything else. And now you see, I mean, I, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and it was never more clear to me that it is a physiological thing that you are born with. And I know that at the deepest level. And so it's like to mock somebody for that is just the same as to, or to chastise somebody for that is the exact same as punishing them for the color of their skin or for their ethnicity. And so you know, to fully make that shift and be able to love them now and to be able to understand them on that level has helped me so much to be more Christ-like. And so for me, I'm just going to keep on that path. I'm like, I love finding people that are just on this journey and they don't know what's next. And we find each other and we just love each other. And, um, it's created a beautiful life. I'm, I'm super happy with how it's gone. I think I needed the church as long as I did. And I think that I've honored my heart since then as well. So how do people know you're safe? Um, I open up, I get vulnerable. So I've had a life coach for 10 years and she said, Jimmy, people will respond to you when you're vulnerable, authentic and in integrity. So if I can open up and let you know that, you know, you don't need to be anything to me. You don't, I don't need you to impress me. I don't need you to be anything different for me. All I, I just freaking love you. And here we are. And here's, you know, we open up a space where you can say that I'll call my friends when I'm struggling. And, um, we end every conversation with, I love you, me and my friends. And it's funny. People like laugh at us, but we love it. And I woke up to a text this morning from my buddy. And this is a buddy that told me about three months ago. He, uh, told me he was molested when he was a young kid. And, um, he told you that he told me, yeah, I mean, we were in a space and he's like, man, and we three buddies just sitting there hugging this guy and letting him know that he's loved and he's okay. And he's safe. And, um, you know, and I saw him last night at my Halloween party I did for my clients. And he texted me this morning, goes, dude, I was doing my gratitude this morning. And I just, you just kept coming up. I'm just so grateful for you in my life. I love you so much, man. And I just love you. And I wrote him back and this is a daily thing. Now we're just, I don't know how, I can't say how exactly you create the space. You just let people know that it's okay to be them. They don't need to be, um, you know, I don't care if you're where you're at in your path. I, I, I just care what your heart is. And when you truly can, do that. I don't think people need, I think energy is so strong. You can read somebody's energy. You can tell that my energy is safe and you're not going to have to worry about me judging you for anything or, or telling anybody else who you are. If I, you know, even sharing a story, I'm never going to, you know, share too much or talk about the person that in a way that it, they would feel uncomfortable. And so I think you just do that through your energy towards them and that love that you share. It's fascinating for me to hear that from you. This is an un unscripted part of the podcast. It's great. Yeah, I we just, kind of outlined this a little bit before we went, but what Jimmy just showed there is just pure gold. And um, I love that you become vulnerable as a way then to create space for others and how we heal each other in our vulnerabilities. And somehow culturally, we see this in the church and in other places, it's this perfection or well, this hyper perfection or this, and it's just unsustainable and you can't be real and you can't be vulnerable and it just leads to stress and anxiety and so many other problems. But what you're able to do, and to me, it's a great being, being vulnerable is a great sign of just your confidence in who you are and your peace about who you are. So you don't have to be something you're not, but you can actually be Jimmy Rex. And we haven't even talked about all your accomplishments 
on the other things you're doing, but just vulnerable Jimmy Rex that then people say, okay, I can be real with this guy because he's real with me. Yeah. I, you know, in my whole twenties, you, you know, you, you, you do something with a girl you're not supposed to, but you know, you just normal stuff that's happened in the twenties. You gotta go talk to the Bishop about, or, you know, you look at porn. I mean, I would, I was really good looking back. It was like once every maybe six or eight months, I just, I'd get triggered and look at porn, but I thought I was the only one doing this. And we had a class once that got vulnerable in elders quorum. And there was like 40 of us and whoever was hosting it, the, it was one of just one of the elders and he got us vulnerable enough. He said, who's looked at porn in the last 30 days? It was every single person in the class, you know? And it was like, all of a sudden we weren't alone anymore. And we weren't these like horrible people. We were just humans we were having a human experience. Anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where the shame comes in, where you feel like you can't tell anyone, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're the only one with this issue. And it's like, as I've gotten to meet so many more people now, and it's, we're all going through these same issues. And if we can talk about it, we can be open about it and share know that we're okay. And that's how you overcome those things too. When you bring things out of the dark, all of a sudden they don't, you don't need them anymore and you don't worry about them anymore. And so I just think that there's this, the more that you can help bring those things to light, the more that you can let people know that it's okay not to be completely okay. Um, you're going to have more of these beautiful experiences. And I just, I believe so strongly in the energy of the universe. Like if you think that God is, God is the ultimate energy, right? Like God is the ultimate part of the universe and we all come from God, then we literally have God in us. And so does everything else. Cause he created all this. When we eat food or, I mean, I could eat the wood chair and it would be part of my body, which is part of God, which is part of that whole energy. And so there's literally energy is so strong. You can feel when a bad energy walks in the room without turning around. You can feel when a good energy walks into the room without turning around because it's real. That is a real thing. So when you carry yourself with that energy and that love inside of you, others are going to feel it and they're going to respond to you accordingly. And when you don't have it, they won't because they're not going to feel safe around it. It's just, that is the energy that God, that is like the gift that we all have is the ability to feel God's love through our energies. That's in everything. It's really cool. And I think about the implications as a parent, if you want to be real and vulnerable a little bit and open, then that creates a safety for your own kids. And I don't know exactly how to manage that for a, a local leader. Sometimes we as local leaders, um, we feel just a need to present ourselves as perfect. And and I think there's a way to sort of present ourselves as real. Our own bishop in testimony meeting, who's a little overweight, and I'm a little overweight, talked about being overweight in his testimony. It was so awesome. He says, you know, every year I... I need to lose weight. And he just did that in such a, it was such an honorable, vulnerable moment, but it actually created a signal to everybody. And I don't think he was intentionally doing this. This guy's pretty real. And mm -hmm. to kind of talk about his own being overweight over the pulpit in a testimony and just saying, I have work to do. And I just thought, you know, if I'm a 15 year old kid wondering if I can talk to him about that, about stuff, I'm thinking I can probably talk to him because he's, you know, just because he was, and I don't think we should, as local leaders sort of reconfess all our sins. No, pulpit, you have to be careful with what, you know, but what you're doing is you're creating a loving space, right? right? You're creating an open space. Like I thought about this the other day when I was thinking about my dad, it was about two weeks ago. And I was like, me and my dad have never just sat and just been buds. I have so many friends. I was with three of my buddies. We were all having a, a beautiful night, just hanging out and, and sharing cool experiences with each other around a campfire. And I thought to myself, I don't think my dad has ever had this with friends in his whole life. Like what a crazy thought. Right. And I was like, I need to go do that with my dad and just let him be okay to just be my dad. Like, look at man, you did it. You did a really good job. Like I, you're good. Like, 
you're a good freaking dude and you know you're real you had pain you you did some things that were stupid but you're just having a human experience and you know you did a lot of stuff right that i just don't know even know how you had time to do it all but you did and you showed up you know when you didn't always have to and so i think it's important to kind of see things that way and try to give space for all that you've mentioned shame a couple times jimmy just talk about that and any thoughts on just the problem that shame can create for people. Yeah, I think it's the best way I've been able to try to dissect it. Cause I've really studied a lot. I study a lot of Brene Brown. She talks about it a lot. Um, when we don't feel like we're living up to the expectations of what we're supposed to be, we feel shame. And a lot of times those expectations aren't the reality of who we're supposed to be. They're usually somebody else's expectations or a church's expectations or whatever that might be, you know, maybe. And I think when we can truly understand that our lives don't have to be anything. We can really do whatever it is we truly want to do um, without needing it to be anything. We don't need anything to be. And when we can, but when we feel that expectation and we're not completing it, like for me, I mean, I was a literally top of my industry in my twenties. I was killing life. I was a great uncle, great son. I was doing the commandments. I was really doing the LDS thing very well. And I felt like I was a failure because I wasn't married. And it's because I had this expectation that a single guy needed to be married to be successful in the church. And that wasn't an unfair expectation. That's what everybody told me from my mission president to my bishops, to the stake president, to the, you know, Brigham Young's comment about the 25 year old nuisance or whatever to society. And so I think that the more we can truly just take people where they are, like take some of these people you've had on your podcast. And if we could let them understand you don't have to be straight. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be any of those things. Just be the best version of what God made you. And man, it's beautiful. And life is a beautiful mess and you're beautiful right where you are. And just keep doing that and share love and share your experience and, you know, and help whoever is in your path, whoever God put this universe is conspiring in our favor and everyone you meet, it needs to be uplifted by your energy and your love. And if you can get people to be there, then what a beautiful life you're living. And it doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't matter what your leaders say. It doesn't matter what President Oak says or whatever. You are doing what you need to do to show up in a loving, beautiful energy, in a loving space. And that would create inside of them a confidence knowing that they are living a way that God honors. And, and that's what I think is kind of what I'm trying to help portray to other people is just be the best version of yourself. And you don't need to be anything more than that. I don't need you to be anything in my life other than just be there, be my friend and, and share that love that we all need. I love that answer. Talk about your podcast. Why did you start a podcast? What's your focus? How many get, how many episodes? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're how do people find you. We're 170 episodes in. It's called the Jimmy Rex show. Um, it's been amazing. We, uh, we've got millions of downloads now. Um, so when I first had the idea, I wanted to share, I have some amazing friends. I mean, the first five episodes was Tim Ballard, the founder of Operation Underground Railroad. That but you've worked I've with. been able to be a part of 11 missions with them. It was Sean Reyes, the attorney general of Utah, who does amazing things for, you know, anti-trafficking and drugs and all these other things. He's an amazing um, attorney general, 82% approval rate or something, which is just crazy. Um, Trevor Milton, who was in Forbes magazine two weeks ago as a billionaire. Dave Bateman, the founder of Entrada, has 1,800 employees in Utah. These were my first guests, and these are my best friends. These are my close friends. And I just, I had so many of these amazing people in my life. And I said, I've got to share all these things I get to learn on a daily basis. These experiences I get to have, I want to share them with my family. I want to share them with my nieces, my nephews, my posterity, you know? And so I said, I need to highlight these people. And so 
Um, I started the podcast and it's uh, extraordinary people living exceptional lives. Now we're 170 episodes in. I've had the most amazing guests. Like in the last two months, you know, like I said, I had people that I'd never dream I'd have on my podcast reaching out to me. Robin Sharma, I've, his book is one of my all-time favorite books, The 5am Club. He reached out to me. He sold 15 million books. And this guy and That's I, cool. you know, we're like just becoming friends. And then I, I flew to Austin, Texas to interview Tucker Max, who's one of only four people to ever have three books on the New York Times bestseller at the same time. And I was, you know, I went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with a bunch of um, NFL guys. And, you know, I've had Haloti Nada, the NFL future Hall of Famer on my podcast. And I've had Nate Boyd or who was the Green Berets standing with Colin Kaepernick when he was kneeling, just interesting people one after another, right? All these amazing humans and people that are changing the world. And so it's been really inspiring to be able to do it, to be able to share that network, to be able to do these. Like, you know, I was before this interview, I was out in my car finishing a phone call. This guy, he's a former Navy SEAL. I'm bringing him on the podcast on November 5th. We're, we're going to uh, record it. But he, uh, he's the personal security guard for the president of Haiti. He's helping him turn around the corruption in Haiti. And he's just has the most fascinating story. I met this guy through um, an undercover op with Operation Underground Railroad. And he's just such a phenomenal human. And I get to share his story now with my friends and family and audience. And so um, the podcast has been a, a means or a way to share all this extraordinary things and inspire people to just live their best life. What gave you the idea to do a podcast? Was it, I mean, that's kind of an out of box, the idea with all... It's not like you have nothing else going on. Yeah, no, at the time I was, it was funny because when I first had the idea, it was about three and a half years ago and podcasts weren't as popular yeah. then. And you know, my original idea was I was going to make um, YouTube videos or I was going to like record the video and then like rent out a dollar theater and show. And I'm like, this was how bad my idea was. And then all of a sudden I'm like, duh, it's a podcast. It just hit me. I was doing my year end goal planning. I take a week where I go through everything, what I want to do. And um, it hit me. That's what it is. It's a podcast. And so I had a goal by the end of that year, I was going to go over 10,000 downloads on one episode and it happened. It actually happened January 2nd. It was, I was two days late, but I had Garrett G of the bucket list family and his episode went like 13,000 downloads in the first two weeks. And so it took me two extra days over my goal, but I hit it, um, by the end of that year, I think it was episode like 13 or something, but it's awesome. It's just kind of grown from there. So it's been really fun to do it. It's called the Jimmy Rex show. And each episode is somebody completely different. You know, one week I'll have, um, like last week it was this young woman that she is a summer sales girl and she, uh, she shattered all the industry records for pest control. She sold 1300 accounts. A normal person sells like a hundred is good. And I told her story and, um, talked about, I mean, it's 25 year old that has just taken life. She's making a million bucks selling pest control door to door. And it's just, every episode's different. You know, awesome. Amberly Snyder was two weeks ago. She was paralyzed and she's a champion horse racer. And, um, she 13 months later was back on the horse uh, barrel racing, even so she's paralyzed from the waist down and Netflix just did a real movie about her life story. And I had her on. And then, you know, the week before that it's, um, Dave Babora, this guy that, you know, he was a former NFL player and he set up this gym in Texas that helps, um, wounded warriors find place again. And, you know, he came on and we just have these extraordinary people every single week. It's been, it's been pretty special. Talk about the book or books you've written. Yeah, so I uh, I wrote a book called The New Next Wave of Influence in Real Estate. We hit bestseller on Amazon. It's a real estate book. I so when I was young in real estate, I my first full year because of the success I'd had, I had some really extraordinary mentors. And one of them was this guy named Mike Ferry, who's kind of a legend in the real estate coaching industry. And he kind of took me under his wing a little bit just because he loved my story. I was 24 and just crushing it. And uh, he had these masterminds 
where he'd get the top hundred agents from around the country. You had to sell over 75 or more homes a year to even be there. And we'd sit around and we'd mastermind and we'd tell all the secrets that these guys were doing. I'm sitting next to agents doing 400, 800, a thousand deals a year, just like amazing humans. And, uh, I was able to soak up all that information. And so I wanted to recreate that. And so the book essentially is kind of like tribe of mentors from Tim Ferriss. I interviewed a hundred of the top millennial real estate agents, put all their information in this book. They share their golden nuggets, their daily routines, their morning routines, their, um, their investment strategies, their marketing strategies. And so it's kind of like this little Bible for real estate agents. If they want to learn some secrets to really bolster their business and copy what these top hundred agents are doing. It's cool. It's fun. A couple more questions before we end up. Talk about the future. So, I mean, I hope our listeners realize I'm interviewing somebody in their 30s. <laughs> this isn't somebody in their 60s that's sort of talking about all the things that he or she has accomplished in life. And I mean that really in a complimentary way. It's really, I don't know anybody like you. And it's not you're just this one-dimensional guy that's excelling in business and making money and deals and investments. We haven't talked too much of that. And you don't have a heart, and it's kind of about stepping over other people. You've got this other part of you, this human side of you that goes meet somebody that's suicidal and spends a week with them. So it's a really wonderful sort of combination of gifts. But talk about the future, you know, because you've got a lot of years ahead of you. It's not like this is a, a podcast recapping your life. We're in the middle of a maybe the early stages of your story since you're in their 30s. Just kind of talk about what your hopes are for the future. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I very much do everything by design. I set up a dream board four years ago and I've literally accomplished 80% of it now. So I'm very, I, again, I, I kill the expectation of my life needing to be anything, but I'm very intentional about what I do with my life. And so from here, I truly believe that I'm gifted and that I'm God smiles on me. I know he does. And I, I, like I don't, don't want to say that in an arrogant way, but I, I feel special. And I think we all are special. We all have God in us. And so I know I have a special purpose. And so for me, um, I keep my eyes open always for opportunities, but I feel like I am just starting whatever I'm supposed to accomplish here on the earth. And, and I think it's bigger than I can even imagine today. Um, but I do think if, you know, I just need to make sure that I am honoring my heart and doing the things I'm supposed to do and keeping the focus on love always. And, you know, I've got my big goals. I, I, so I, let's see, three years ago, I set up my big five-year goals and uh, I've accomplished about five of them and a few of the other ones are coming. But, you know, I, you have to be in a very good position to help other people. You can't lift people out of a hole if you're in the hole with them. And so I very much have worked hard the last few years to get myself in a very strong position, um, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, all those things. Right. And so as I keep doing that, my job is to help the rest. I want to, you know, I want to save lives. I want to rescue over a thousand kids. I've helped be a part of over a hundred rescues so far, a hundred kids. And I want to, you know, I want to change the world that way. I want to um, own enough real estate to help create hundreds of millionaires. I want to um, speak in front of tens of thousands of people and share messages that change lives. And so I have all these things I want to do. You know, one of my big goals, I'm going to do it in a couple of weeks. I wanted to take my family on a dream vacation. And, um, and so they're all big Disney people. And so I booked a, a Disney cruise. I'm paying for 38 of us to go and do a Disney cruise to the Bahamas next month. That's cool. And, you know, I just want, I don't need to, I, I know that to really make change in this world, it happens on the one-on-one -on -one level. But I do want to change and, and do everything I can to, to create change for the masses. 
but not losing that focus of that one-to-one. I love interaction with humans one-on-one. It's my favorite thing. It's what I spend all my time doing is going, I'm after this podcast, I have an appointment at 1030 to go meet with a friend, you know, and I just, I'm always trying to look for opportunities to just be present, give of myself and, and do that. And I know that as we do that, our path finds where it's supposed to go. And I'm not afraid to take a step into the unknown and take a step into that, you know, just that unknown and, and really go for it and see what comes next. So I, I hope that it was kind of a long answer, answer. but, but I just, I'm going to be very intentional about really just sharing love. And I think that I'm in a unique position to help a lot of people that kind of felt like I did, or maybe have gone through a lot of what I did or, um, are going to eventually. And so, um, I'm trying to share my message with as many people as I can to, you know, let's do this thing. And I love that answer. Talk to, and you, I think you've done this already, but talk to listeners that are really down on themselves that might be suicidal, that might feel like, you know, they just don't have a lot of hope. Um, they're kind of listening for, and I think you've given some, uh, just something that you could share with them to give them a little hope. Yeah, I, I, I've been really down myself. Um, I can't ever say I've been suicidal, but I've been down. I've been depressed to the point where I was like, man, like, like this is a, I I'll, I'll share one real quick. I, I, because I, I think it's important when you hear, I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of cool things happen for me. Um, but you know, I'll tell you a story. I was in love with this girl. I thought I was going to marry this girl. Um, this is five years ago, six years ago. And, uh, wake up one day, we'd FaceTime every day. She was in a foreign country and doing some service and we'd FaceTime every morning at like 6am. Cause that was like before she was going to bed where she was at. And I wake up one morning, I was actually going to do an op with Operation Underground Railroad that day. And so I was all excited and I wake up and she gets on the phone and she goes, look, I need to hit you straight. Like, you know, I don't love you, right? Like I see you just as a friend. And I'm like, we'd been going out, we'd been, you know, physical, we were, but like, it was a beautiful relationship. And all of a sudden I'm like, I mean, just tore my heart out, just ripped me apart, you know? And I remember thinking like this is the worst moment of my life. Like, this is really bad. Like I love this girl. I was literally had quit a job to move back to Utah to give it a shot with this girl. I was out in California doing some training stuff for a company and I was just devastated. I was just so, so tortured. And I thought to myself, like, how am I bouncing back from this? You know, this was, my heart was just torn out. And, uh, I had a call with my life coach the next day and, the last time I talked to my life coach, we were literally talking about what I could do on dates to like help make this girl's life a little bit, but what I could send her in where she was and how I could do some things to make her day better. And so I've got to tell, you know, my coach, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's going to be so bugged at me that I blew this somehow. And I'm like, just, just putting it on myself. Right. And, uh, I call her and I, you know, I just, am like, I'm so stupid. Like, this is what happened. And she's like, Jimmy, I wish I could just give you a hug. Do you realize you've just had your heart torn out. Like all you need to focus on right now is just loving yourself. We're so hard on ourselves. That's what I was doing in that time. We're so hard on ourselves. So if you're listening to this and you, you feel like you're in just a spot where you just don't have we're so hard on ourselves. You're so much further along than you probably think you are. And you're so much better shaped than you probably feel like you are. You don't need your life to look like everybody else's. You don't even need to have anything figured out in my, I mean, I, I can't tell you, enough to just wherever you're at, just be in that spot and to honor every part of it 
and realize that you get to design your life. You get to pick what happens in your life from here on out. You can't change the past. And a lot of you have been given a really crappy hand and you're valid. You, if you, if you focus on those things, you would be justified. But here's the one thing I'll say is just really try to focus on the fact that no matter what's happened to you, no matter how bad it was, if you play victim to those things, you are changing your future based on your past and you, you, you can be the victim, but it doesn't serve you. And that's the number one thing I'll say is it just doesn't serve you. So you've got to learn to honor just whatever got you to today and just know that it's okay. Like you don't need anything to be different. It doesn't have to be different. And you're just go, you literally have God in you and wherever you stand today, move forward knowing that, and you don't have to change the past. You don't have to make it wrong. You just get to honor it and move forward. That's I guess the best thing I would say. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. And I love the way you answered that by going vulnerable. No, oh, I was the worst man. I was, I I just, was crushed. But everybody's going to remember that story and everybody relates to that story. And I love what the life coach did for you and then what you taught in that and what we need to do for each other and ourselves. Yeah, we just, we're not very nice to ourselves, you know? My, if, a lot of times if somebody talked to one of our friends the way we talked to ourselves, we'd punch him in the face, you know? <laughs> so just be kind to yourself. Like, I truly, so there's a, there's a prayer. Let me just give this real quick, called the Ho'opono Prayer. Um, it's a big thing in Hawaii and Polynesian culture. And, um, and what it is, I do this every morning. You stand in the mirror and you say, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And it's a prayer you say to yourself. I love you. You're saying it to yourself. Just look in the mirror and just say it to yourself. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that for just whatever it might be that day, please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for showing up today. And that's a really powerful thing to do. Self-love is so important and self-love isn't watching Netflix. Self-love is to really look at yourself and understand that just love yourself just because you are, you just are here and you showed up today and, and just love that person. We'll end with that. Um, Jimmy Rex, thank you for taking the time to be on an episode. And thank you for all the nuggets of wisdom. This podcast, you, what you've shared with us today is excellent and will help so many people and will be one of our highest listened to podcasts. And you have a unique, beautiful life mission. It'd just be great to continue to watch the good things you do. I think you're going... Um, great white shark. Yeah, I'm going with us. In two days, I'm going in the middle of the ocean. No cages. We're going to go swim with great white sharks. I'm going with the bucket list family. Garrett G's a close friend of mine, and he lets me go when they swim with sharks because I love sharks. And are you going to come back alive? Um, yes, sharks. We just, every time a shark attacks someone, we hear about it, but they really are super nice. I promise. So like, I have to believe when I'm in the water, when you're, I've swam with tiger sharks that are about as big and dangerous. And when you see them, it's pure love. I mean, it really is. It's you realize these creatures are so beautiful in their habitat and great whites. I can't wait. So yeah, we're swimming out of the cage and I'll let you know how it goes. If you, now this might be the last thing I ever share if I get bit by one of the sharks and they end up in the middle of the ocean, but I just love them. And I think that, it, yeah, I just, I live for experiences that get me out of my comfort zone. That's I'm going awesome. bungee jumping off a helicopter in a few months. I'm going to go stand on top of a, one of those planes where you're anyway, anything that gets my blood going, I'm all in on. Cause that's what helps us realize that we can do crazy and amazing things with this life. It's great. Thank you, Jimmy Rex. This is Richard Osler signing off for another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.